Well, good morning and thank you for coming to church. This morning, I'm just gonna take a minute here. We've got some time, we're not in any hurry. But right during worship, this guy from my childhood walks up to me. We've got Kendall Johnson right here, big tall guy with the blue shirt, Kendall's here. And Kendall, just one second, Kendall, I'll give you a chance to cheer for him. He is the best bass player in Tulsa, Oklahoma, first of all. He's a monster musician. He's a band leader, he's a writer, he's an arranger. He's also an accomplished attorney. And he played bass with my dad and all kinds of stuff from my childhood. And I'm a drummer, so I grew up playing drums in Tulsa. And Kendall, I, I got to play in lots of bands with him. And he always was excellent. He always demanded the best. He was gracious, but he was always going to have the very best. And I was a teenager playing these charts, reading charts, sight reading for the first time with Kendall as the bass player. I was nervous out of my mind because you're with the legend. And he always coached me. He always helped me. And I have zero memories in my life without Kendall Johnson being there and his wife, Suzanne, they're here today. So could you give it up for the Kendall and Suzanne Johnson? Excellent people. We bless you. We love you. There he is. Yeah, he's very humble too. He's very humble too. No. <laughs> My kids have never met Kendall, but I hope that you have people like Kendall in your life as you grow up. So Kendall, Suzanne, God bless you. We welcome you. If you have your Bibles, would you turn to Ephesians chapter three? If you don't have your Bibles, it'll be up on the screen. So no worries. You'll be able to track with us. A few weeks ago, I was here and I talked about the necessity of play. And uh, at Friday night, the, the, a couple weeks ago, I talked about the necessity of prayer and we've talked about the necessity of presence. Today, I wanted to have a chat with you about the necessity of God's power. Can you say power? The necessity of God's power. And so uh, this is kind of a summer standalone one-off sermon here before we start up a new series here in the next couple weeks. But today I wanna read to you out of Ephesians chapter three, verse 20. It's two verses that I'll read. Many of you, if you've been in church, you've heard this, but I want us to take a look. Hear the word of the Lord, I'll read it, and then we'll pray and we'll jump in. Paul is writing to the Ephesians. The believers who are a minority and a majority culture that is pagan, that is godless, that is not running after Jesus. And Paul says to this small fledgling church in Ephesus, Turkey, now to him who is able, can you say able? Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever and all God's people said, Amen. let's pray, Lord, we need you today. We just need you. We, we don't have enough on our own. We're not wise enough on our own. We're not savvy enough on our own. I, as a preacher, cannot speak to this room and touch every heart in my own strength, but this is what the Spirit of the Lord does. You take these words and you fall on us like rain. Isaiah said that the word of God will not return void, but it will accomplish everything that it was sent to accomplish like the rain and the snow that fall down from the heavens and water the earth, so my word falls down and it will give you seed for the sower and bread for those who eat. So Lord, we just say we need you today. We give you permission. Would you begin to just say, come Holy Spirit and give the Lord permission to, to, to nudge you today, to challenge you today. We need you, Lord. So we say, have your way in this place today as your word is preached and make us your people afresh in Jesus name and all God's people said, 
Amen. I want to take a famous passage. I'm a church kid and been in church my whole life. And I've heard this, I've heard this kind of thrown around. It's sort of a, a famous passage in the scriptures. But what I want to do is, is take it line by line because very often it's sort of been lifted out of its context. It's been used or misused or misunderstood. And so I want to go through Ephesians 3, 20 and 21, phrase by phrase. There's five phrases and just see what the Lord might do to shed some light on his word for us today. So phrase number one from this prayer from Paul is now to him who is able. I think sometimes it's easy to forget about the God we're working with. I think it's easy to just kind of get settled into our simple little Christian lives and we speak Christianese, oh bless God and bless you brother and I'm blessed and highly favored. We become these robotic Christians and we, we forget the God that we're working with. But Paul says, now to him who is able. And he's trying to, to jog our memories. He's trying to wake us up to what God has done in the past. So this is Ephesians 3.20 on this side of the cross. But he wants us to go back to Genesis 1.1. And do you know that the Bible opens with four really incredible words? In the beginning, God. There was nothingness, there was void, there was abysmal darkness, there was chaos, and the Spirit of God is brooding over that chaos, like he broods over the chaos in our lives. And it says that into that situation of nothingness, and God said, let there be light. And there was light. Now to him who is able, this is the God, when his people were, were held in slavery in Egypt and, 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 and Moses says, let my people go in the 10 plagues and you know the story and finally they get to the Red Sea and they think they're going to be free and there's that dust and sand cloud coming up behind them because Pharaoh changed his mind and he's crashing down on his free labor. Because you can't build a big economy in this moment in time without free labor. We know that story around here. God forgive us for that. Pharaoh comes crashing down and, and he's going to take them back. And, and Moses and the, the Hebrews are scared out of their minds. And it says they stand at the edge of the Red Sea. And God says, stretch out your rod. And he doesn't, God. And they walk through, and then they get to the other side, and Pharaoh and his armies drown behind them, and Miriam and the ladies start leading them in worship. I will sing unto the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously, the horse and the rider thrown into the sea. Do you know who you're working with today with this God? And Paul says, now to him who is able. He wants us to press back in. He wants us to stir our faith. This is the God who when they cross the Red Sea, they, they start grumbling and complaining. And so an 11 day journey turns into a 40 year wandering, but God always supplies. And you know how he gives maybe 2 million Hebrews their water? A rock starts gushing water. I don't have any of those rocks in my yard. I don't know about your landscaping deal that you got, but I don't have any of those rocks. Those people are wandering through the wilderness and he keeps giving them what they need and he keeps sending manna and he sends the ravens and God takes care now to him who is able. Paul wants us to know the God who we're working with and 
I think it's time for us to wake back up. Today is the day to stir your faith that God is able. We settle in to just kind of dealing with it and we're waiting for heaven and just, oh, sweet by and by when, when Jesus is gonna return and rescue, rescue us from this hell, this, this world that's going to hell in a hand. And we just kind of forget that God is able to change some stuff right here and right now. And today's the day to stir our faith in the God who is able, the God who created, the God who split the Red Sea, the God who's always provided for his people is willing and able to press into our situations of abysmal nothingness today to turn them around for his glory. First phrase, now to him who is able. Second phrase that I want you to see, Paul says, now to him who's able to do immeasurably more. Can you say immeasurably more? Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine. I'll just say to you, God does not cut corners. God is not skimping by. God is not like me with my children at Qdoba. Qdoba, man, it used to be a cheap date. When we moved here 18, you know, starting 19 years ago, Qdoba, Lisa and I could go there for $12 just as a young married couple. And we'd get out of there and go buy some ice cream. $20 date, Qdoba and ice cream. Two different restaurants, 20 bucks. You can't get these kids out of Qdoba for less than 50 today. I mean, it's just, it's expensive. Inflation is real, right? And so I, what we do when we go in is I have everyone sit down and I go up to the line and I order because I know just about the right amount to get us at $48 and everyone's drinking water. We're not drinking pop, you know? Don't even give me that stuff and, and guacamole is extra, you know, they tell you. So get that out of my face. We go to Qdoba and I'm, I'm trying to like measure what is this gonna cost me? God is not like me in Qdoba. Now to him who is able to do a measure, God says, throw the guac on there. You know, give him the guac. $2, it ain't nothing, you know. Now to him who's able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine, God is different than us. God does not skimp. God is not rigid. God is not furrowed brow concerned. He doesn't sit on the throne of heaven worried about the economy and go, oh, myself. Oh, myself. You know, what are we going to Abram and, and Sarai, they're barren. They can't, they can't keep the story going. Their family story is stopping with them because in their own strength, they are not enough. And you know what they're calling to God for? They're just saying, give us one son. Would you just give us one son? Come on, God. You're the one who said, let there be. And you're the one who did all this stuff. Would you not forget us? Give us one son. They were asking God for one son. What did he make them into? A mighty nation. God does not skimp or cut corners. God is not like me in Qdoba. God is not afraid. God is not, you know, circling up the wagons and trying to mail it in until he can finally come and rescue us from this hellhole and take us to glory. God is stepping into the human story right here and right now, and he's always taking our request and he's turning it into immeasurably more. God is able. I'm preaching better than you're shouting, as they say in the South, right? I'm from Oklahoma. I know what those preachers say down there. Kendall knows. Joseph just wanted to get out of prison. He's, he's been sold by his brothers. His dad gave him the, the coat of many colors. And Joseph was probably unwise to tell those dreams. You know, you 11 brothers, you're going to bow down to me one day. I'm sort of a big deal. I don't know if you know this. Dad loves me. And daddy, God in heaven loves me. 
That was stupid, and they, they threw him in a, a pit, and they sold him to slave traders who took him to Egypt. He goes to Egypt. He goes into Potiphar's house. He gets hired there. He's doing great work. Potiphar's wife comes in and goes, hey, and he runs in the opposite direction. He stays faithful. He's clean. He's honorable before the Lord, and everything he touches prospers, and he still ends up in the bottom of the prison. And all he wanted to do was just how, do you, how can you go any lower? I was the coat of many colors, favorite son, life was working, now I'm here, and he just wanted to get out of prison. What does God do? He puts him as number two in the palace to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or even imagine. Mary thought she was just gonna walk down the aisle and be wed to her, her groom, Joseph. She was living an invisible life in a patriarchal society, and it seems like she had what she needed. She had a, kind of a small existence, but she was probably just grateful, and, 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 and she knows that those are the parameters for her life, for women like her in the ancient Near East, and she just wanted to be Joseph's wife and all this, and what does God make her? He makes her the mother of the Son of God. <laughs> now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine, and I'll just, I'm just here to tell you today that God is more generous than we can imagine, and God is more playful than we can imagine, and God is more creative than we can imagine, and God does not skimp, and God does not cut corners, and Paul, who, who wrote this prayer elsewhere in Romans 11, 33 through 36, has this doxological eruption of praise. When he's thinking about who this God is, he says, oh, the depths of the riches and the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out for who can know the mind of the Lord and who can be his counselor and who could ever give to God that God should repay him for from him and through him and to him are all things and to him be the glory forever and ever. And he says, amen. Can you say amen today, church? Paul says, God is not here to cut corners. He's ready to go if you will engage with him. Today's a day for our faith to be stirred up. I'll say it this way, whatever you're asking God for will always be less than what he is able to do. Whatever you're asking God for, will, oh, it will all, oh, bless their heart. Just kind of beginning to scratch the surface of putting God to the test for what he's able to do. Whatever you're asking God for will always be less than what he is able to do. And I'll also say whatever you're asking God for will always be less than what he is planning to do. It's one thing for someone to be able to do it, but not be planning on doing it. But God is able and he's planning on it. And Paul says, I want you to know now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all you could ask for or imagine. God wants to invite us to pray big prayers. God wants to invite us to take a risk. God wants to, to, to stretch us. God wants us to take up a stand in the earth and to take dominion and to rule and to be his image bearers. I'll say it this way. God does not desire a safe, sanitized, precious church of passive Christians. Thank you for two amens, mom. <laughs> a safe, sanitized, precious church of passive Christians who are just, oh, praise God. You know, thank, thank God the kids are acting right and they loaded the dishwasher last night without us even having to ask. And, and it's just amazing what God is doing in our lives and the yard is really green this year and thank God for the rain. It was really great May and June. And like, that's fine, it's not enough. 
God is looking for Christians who will take the risk, who will ask him, who will, who will intercede, who will fast and pray. Christians who are interested in changing the situation with our, with our unaffordable housing in Colorado Springs right now. Do you know how many people are sleeping in cars at night? Christians who are interested, do you know, you know where hospitals got started? Way, way, way back, a bunch of believers who said, Jesus Christ is raised from the dead and he cares for the sick and he cares for the children and he cares for the poor. Well, we ought to open up some hospitals and they opened hospitals. Christians started orphanages, why? Because they knew that God didn't want any little ones out on their own. Christians started universities, why? Because we're supposed to love the Lord with all of our mind as well. And so friends, I just wanna provoke you today. In 52 weeks of sermons, we're not always gonna go like this and you know, you know sort of the emotional tenor and, and but, but I feel the Spirit pushing us today to believe that God is able to do immeasurably more and to be the believers that rise up to take a risk. Can you say amen today, church? Phrase number three. Now to him who's able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine. And Paul says, according to, can you say it with me? His power that's at work within us according to his power that's at work within us. I need you to catch this today. Paul is very, very articulate. He's not writing on accident. He knows what he's saying according to his power that's at work within us. Do you see the partnership here with God? I'll just say it this way. Here's the way God works. God will always invite you to exercise your creative agency. God will always invite us to exercise our creative agency. We see this right in the beginning. He creates Adam. He sets Adam down in the garden. He gives him the animals. And, and, and there was not a suitable helper to be found for him. And he goes, you know, I gotta do something else. And then Eve comes into the story and he, put, he pairs them together. But right before that seminal moment, it says in Genesis 2.15 that the Lord God took the man and he put him in the garden of Eden. Do you see this? To work it and to take care of it. God didn't have, God didn't have a, a, a landscaping service that he sent in for Adam every Tuesday and Friday. Oh yeah, we got you, it's, it's gonna be a life of comfort, just go for it, enjoy the garden. We'll do all the hard work for you, Adam. No, Adam, here you go, here's your place, I've provided for you, now get yourself to work. He put him in the garden to work it and to take care of it. And then you keep reading in Genesis 2. It says, now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky, and he brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock and the birds in the sky and all the wild animals. God does not give Adam the Encyclopedia Britannica and tutor him and this is what I've decided this shall be called and this is what I've decided this shall be called. He says, Adam, it's your garden. What do you wanna call him? What, what do you think that should be over there? And what, what are your plans for this portion of the garden over here? God will always invite us to exercise our creative agency. And this is from Genesis 2 all the way through. Jesus does his first miracle, right? He's at the wedding. And he hadn't done any miracles yet, and his mom's there, and the reception gets thrown, and they got some great, I'm sure it's lamb, you know, great lamb and shawarma, and they're having a great meal, and, 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 and they run out of vino. 
There's no more vino at the wedding. And Mary is very concerned about this, and she goes to her son, who she's seen as kind of this special kid, and woo, you know, and she goes, do something, you know, Jesus, do something. He said, woman, it's not my time. And she goes, no, I'm your mother. Yes, it is, do something. <laughs> Exercise your creative agency, baby. And he goes, okay, fine, you know, what are you gonna say to mom at second pass? Yes, ma'am. And so he calls six, six people, maybe 12 people. There's these, read John 2, there's six water jars that are 20 to 30 gallons big. Stone water jars back in the ancient Near East. These suckers are heavy. There had to be two at each of them. So 12 people, he says, go fill the jars with water and then bring them back to me. Do you see that Jesus doesn't do a party trick? Oh, hocus pocus, kazam, blah, 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 blah. You know, he, does, he, he says, hey, I need you to do your work. Go, go fill the water jars. And they bring the water jars back. Jesus is always taking our work and blessing it. Jesus is always taking the water and turning it into wine. Jesus is always partnering with our creative agency so that he can turn the water into wine. Friends, I want you to see that God is always interested in partnering with us. The paralyzed man who was healed. He had four friends. They wanted to get their friend to Jesus. So five folks. Jesus is in a house. There's too many people there. They can't get him in. That means the paralyzed guy is not going to be healed. And so what do they do? They exercise their creative agency. They climb up on the rooftop. Poor homeowner. I mean, homeowner's insurance right here. The policy was activated that day. They gash through the roof and they drop the guy down on a mat. Five people dropping in this guy. And Jesus, what does he do? He partners with their creative agency and he raises him up to fullness of life. God is not wanting us to be passive, precious, safe Christians who are mailing it in and waiting until heaven. Do you see this all throughout scripture? God is looking for us to partner with him. I grew up around an interesting form of theology. Uh, it was not unusual for me to hear prosperity preachers. And, and one of the things that you would hear all the time is that checks were coming in the mail. You know, money's coming to me now and we're calling it in. And look, I'm, I believe God wants to bless us. I believe in the favor of God. I believe that God wants to bless us abundantly. All of that, I'm good with that. But very often this theology had you sitting on the couch waiting for a check to come in the mail. I'm eating my Lay's potato chips, naming it and claiming it. And just, yes, God, thank you that it's coming in the mail. And God is saying, get your butt up and go to work. Let's do something. Let's do, I'm, I'm, I'm not, look, I want to bless you, but I need you. <laughs> I want to bless you, but I'm going to partner with you. I'm going to bless you, but I'm not going to enable you to be a lazy son eating your Lay's potato chips while the checks come in the mail. Get up, exercise your creative agency. What do you want to name the animals, Daniel? Get out there and do the work and watch me prosper everything you put your hand to. Friends, God is always looking to partner with us. The way God does immeasurably more is through a trusting partnership with his people. This year, I've sensed the Lord really stirring me with this. I'm preaching to you out of my passion. I'm preaching to you out of my own relationship with the Lord. I'm preaching to you out of the provocation that I have sensed from the Spirit to push. Like, Daniel, you're 40 years old. These are your years of strength. Go. Don't be safe. Be wise. I'm not saying be stupid, but I'm saying as you're wise, take the risk and press. And, I, and I, I'm just bringing that to you today.
from Ephesians 3, 20 and 21. I think about John Wesley, great writer and preacher and theologian and musician and hymnologist, John Wesley, just a legend. And, and during John Wesley's life, he was praying for, he, he made a list of 100 people. I don't know what it was. Was it a journal? What did it look like back then when he was living? But he had on paper a list of 100 people and he wrote their names out in the presence of God. And every morning he would get up in his quiet time and he would take those names into the presence of God. He would call every single name, 100 names in the morning. He would intercede for them. These are people who weren't saved. People who didn't know the Lord, people who, who were in his sphere of influence or who lived near his neighborhood. And John Wesley would say, Lord Jesus, I pray today by the power of your spirit that you would chase them down. I pray that you would show them your love. I pray that they would know your mercy. And John interceded and he interceded and he interceded. And you know that in his lifetime, 96 of those people gave their lives to Jesus after 20, 30 years of intercession. And you know what? The other four got saved at his funeral. A hundred, all hundred came to know the Lord Jesus. Why? Because Jesus is always looking to partner with us. Jesus is always looking for a people who are willing to press in and to do the work. Phrase number four, now to him who's able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine according to his power that's at work within us. And then he says in phrase number four, to him be glory, to him be glory. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. I'll just be quick on this phrase. It's just, it's worth getting. It, I'm here to remind you that it's God that gets the glory for all the great things that he, he, he does in our lives. Andre Crouch wrote it. To God be the glory for the great things that he has done, right? It's, it's God that gets the glory. I, I didn't stretch out my arms on the hill outside of Jerusalem and say it is finished. I didn't lay my life down for the life of the world. I don't always bless those that curse me, but Jesus is batting a thousand, as they say. He, he was always clean, and he's always true, and he's always faithful. And because Jesus was crucified and put in the grave, and on the third day he rose again and ascended to the right hand of the Father, we say in the creed that Jesus will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead and his kingdom. Yes, sir, his kingdom will have no end. It's God that gets the glory. I'm here to remind you that our churches and our companies, our corporations, our S-Corps, our LLCs, our 501c3s, they're doing meaningful work right now, but in the end, those will not be the lead story into eternity. And so Paul says, I want you to remember, to him be the glory forever and ever. And when God does bless you and a check does come in the mail because you worked your tail off, you go to God be the glory for the great things that he's done. And when your body's on the brink and somehow the spirit sweeps in and your youth is renewed like the eagles and you're, and you're running and you're not weary again, you say, to God be the glory. And we live in a world that is, is bent on self-promotion. Open up your social media apps later this afternoon and tell me if we don't live in a world that's bent on self-promotion and brand building and trying to make my name great. But Paul says, your name is not going to be great into eternity. You're just gonna be a part of the big family of God, but we will worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and his name is Jesus, the one who was and is and is to come. So to God be the glory. To God be the glory. Our task is to never forget where the immeasurably more came from. 
Where did it come from? What was the genesis of all the goodness in our lives? It's, it's God's kindness. It's God's mercy. Final phrase. Amen. Now, I think we just think this is a part of the Christianese lexicon. You know, amen. You just got to wrap it up. How do you just close the loop a little bit and just tidy things? No. Amen is this word that comes from the Hebrew word emunah. And, and for the Hebrews, they would put amen on everything. You want to go buy a field and you're in contract negotiations for months with people who've had some ancestral lands for 700 years. It's a big deal for them to sign that land over to you and sell it. And what you do at the contract is you shake hands and you come together and the whole group of people around the signing of the contract, the realtor and, and, and the insurance company, everyone who's a part of this, they go, amen. We witnessed this, we saw this, we agree with this. No one was, was uh, arm twisted into this. There was no coercion. They agreed this is a good thing. The money was exchanged and they all put their amen on it. If someone was getting married in the ancient world, they would come to the big party and the celebration and the bride and the bridegroom and the whole deal and song and dance. And finally, as they're leaving, the whole congregation shouts, amen, amen to this marriage. And you know what amen means in the, in the Hebrew emunah? You know what it means? It means that's, that's true. What we just interacted with, what we just saw, what we just pressed into, what we were witnesses to, that's true. And let it be so and get it done. And I agree. And I'm with that thing that's going on. I'll get behind that with all my heart. I come into alignment with, with everything that's in me. I, I, amen. And Paul here, he says, do you know who you're working with? This is the God who is able. And he's not the God who cuts corners. He's not the God who skims. He'll, he'll do immeasurably more than anything you could ever ask or imagine. And he'll do it according to his power that's at work within you as you get out there and do the work. And by the way, when it works, to him be the glory forever and ever in Christ Jesus and in the church world without end through all generations. And then he closes this thing by saying, amen. Let it be so. I agree with that. That's the truest thing you could ever say is that God is able and he's worthy. And Paul puts his amen on it. And I want you to just take a little literary break with me. It's 9.53. We're fine. I'm looking at the clock. All of you are like, are we going to beat the Baptists to Lubies? You know, you know, to Western Sizzling, Golden Corral. You're going to be fine. Okay. Well, he puts this stamp on it, amen. And I want you to take a little literary tour with me. Do you know the last word in the Old Testament? It's interesting to pay attention. Like these people were writers. They were building this beautiful literary document. The last word in the Old Testament is curse. Look at it with me, Malachi 4, 6. And he, the spirit of God, in the end, he shall turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their, their parents, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. He's saying if the spirit doesn't restore us to relationship, we're just going to be living in curse, right? That's how the Old Testament ends. It's like this dark minor chord dirge that just like leaves it hanging for 400 years. Lest I smite the earth with a curse. Do you know what the last word is in the New Testament? Revelation 22, 21, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen.
let's go. I get with that. I agree with that. I say, yes, I put all of my energy. I put all of my heart. We need, if, if, if we are left to be the, the end of the story, the story ends in a curse. But if Jesus has come, and if he was crucified and raised, and if he said, Father, forgive them, they know not what they do, and if he will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and if his kingdom will have no end, Paul, uh, John, out on the island of Patmos, a political prisoner, he's going to die lonely. He's able to say as his last words, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with all of you. Amen. And friends, I want you to see on our own, we are left with the curse. But through the grace of Jesus, the end is blessing. The end is blessing. If you'll stay in the story of Jesus, it's blessing. If you'll stay as a worshiper, it will be blessing. Are you, is, are you always going to be happy? No. Is it always going to be easy? No. Will you always be healthy and wealthy? And, and will the kids always load the dishwasher without you having to ask? Heck no. Is life going to be difficult? Will you walk through the valley of the shadow of death? Yes, you will. But will you fear no evil? <laughs> because he's with you. And I'm here to say to you, if Jesus is the final word of our story, if, if he's the one that's able, and if he's the one that we worship, and if he's the one that we give the glory to, the end of our story will be blessing. And we can put our amen on that today. We can put our hope in that today. We can put our trust in that today, but I'll say this to you, we have to exercise our agency and add our amen to his work. We have to exercise our agency and add our amen to his work. As we close, I'll tell you a little bit about pastors on Sunday mornings. A little biographical sketch that might be helpful to you. I was up at 418 this morning, not because I wanted to, <laughs> I just the motor's going. This is when all the saints are going to gather. The adrenaline is racing. You're expectant. You've prepared. You've prayed. You've sought the Lord. And you can't wait. This is the best time of the week when all God's people come together and we worship him and the Holy Spirit falls and we see old friends and we celebrate and we give and we sacrifice and the kids are running wild and it's just holy pandemonium. So at 418, I'm wide awake this morning and, and my Sunday morning routine is I get up and I, I get on the treadmill for 30 minutes because I'm like a horse in a gate, you know? If I don't, that energy is gonna destroy me and so I gotta channel it and direct it. So I get on the, the treadmill for 30 minutes every Sunday morning and what I do is I listen to one of America's great black preachers from the civil rights movement every Sunday. From 1945 to 19, geez, I get emotional. From 1945, when the war ended, to some, somewhere in the late 70s, finally the war was, that story had moved on and, and these people are saying, but what about us? Can America come true on its, on its creed? What about us? And there were these preachers all across the American South. Many of them moved up north to New York City and Boston, and they were provoking America's conscience. And I listened to one of these sermons, and it's, it's terrible audio. The one I listened to this morning was Reverend M.C. Williams. He, he calls himself Rem, not Reverend, Rem M.C. Williams. And Reverend was preaching this morning, and the guy had a little tape recorder on his lap who was standing on the stage next to Dr. Williams. This must have been the early 50s. 
And it was terrible audio quality, but Dr. Williams was preaching his brains out. And, and, and you know what I noticed? He'd say, Philippians 1, 6, he who began a good work in you will be faithful. To, he's talking to people who are aching for equality and justice. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it until the day of Jesus. And you know what they said? Amen. And when they would shout, the recorder would shake. The audio quality would go even worse because the whole room erupted. And they'd say, yes, sir. You better say that, Dr. Williams. Come on now. They were shouting him down. Hey, one of these days at New Life, we might just go for it, right? You have permission. You have permission. Just you've been duly warned. And Reverend Williams would say, Psalm 121, I lift my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? Where does my help come from? The rhetorical question to people who are just needing help from the Lord. Where does my help come from? He said, my help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven. You know what they said? Amen, brother. You better say that. You know why in the black church they preach so long? And, and, and I'm, not, I'm my black preacher brothers have told me this. He said, you know why on the plantation they would have four-hour services? Because it was the only place on the planet they were safe. It was the only place on the planet where they had hope. Because they walk out of church and it's back to more bricks and less straw. And so they would stay, and they would stay, and they would stay, and they would hear the word of the Lord, and then they'd, they'd turn to Exodus 1 and 2, and they'd hear about the their, oh, their old ancestors who were in Egypt for 400 years. That kind of sounds familiar. And it says that their cry came before Yahweh. And it says, and he heard their cry. And he raised up Moses, a deliverer, who came and said, let my people go. And Dr. Williams is reading Exodus 1 and 2, and the room is raucous. Because in 1952, they wanted to hear, let my people go. And so they added their yes, they added their amen, they added their shout. These people were throwing things at the stage. These people were running around the room. Why? Because this is the truest word you could ever hear. But you can say the word, but if you don't put your amen on it, it's null and void. God can be willing to do it. God can be able to do it. But at some point we have to go, yes, amen, I'm with that. God can set you free in your mind. You gotta say yes and amen to that and then press into it with your creative agency. God can take care of you financially, but you gotta say yes and amen to that and rebuke the devil who's trying to tell you that poverty will be your story going forward. I'm here to provoke you today to say God can be willing and able, but we have to put our amen on it. And so church, we have two options. We can be a safe, sanitized, precious, cute little people waiting for the great day of the Lord where Jesus take me. I'm not signing up for that. I'm not interested. And the world doesn't need a safe, happy, sanitized, precious. The world is waiting for us to start more hospitals and to open more orphanages and to go out into the streets and to take care of the poor. The world needs the church to be the church. The world needs the church to believe now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we could ask or think according to his power that's at work within us. To him be the glory forever and ever in Christ. Amen. Amen.
Would you stand with me today, church? want this kind of power, if you want to live this kind of life with God, would you open your hands today as a sign of, give me that, God. Give me that. God, you see us. God, you hear us. God, you know us. And God, you're able. I want you to stir that up today, now to him who is able, just all week long, would you just pray those words, now to him who is able. Now to him who is able, now to him who's able. Something's going on at the office and you go, now to him who is able. Something's going on with your children, now to him who is able. Something's going on with your body, now to him who is able. Something's going on with your money, now to him who is able. God, you see us and you know us and you are always looking to partner with willing people. And so right here today at New Life Church, we say we're willing. Right here at New Life Church, we say we're in. Right here at New Life Church, we say let it be, so be it, let's go, amen. So God, we say we're your people, we're your amen people today. And we wanna go from here with all of your power to make a difference in the Pikes Peak region and all God's people put their amen on it today. Can we give God thanks for what he's done so far today? I want to invite our communion servers to come down. We're, we're, we're just coming to the table of the Lord where Jesus is going to seal this for us. I want to invite our communion servers to come down. We're going to worship the Lord together. If you're new, you'll come through the room. If you're not physically able to come through, tap your neighbor, say, bring me an extra. They'll do it. But what you'll do is you'll get your communion elements, go back to your seat, hold it there as we worship, and I'll be back in just a few minutes to receive together. Come, let's worship the Lord.